I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Tumbling down the rabbit hole? Hmm? You could say that. I can see it in your eyes. You have the look of a man who accepts what he sees because he is expecting to wake up. Welcome to Team Rabbit Hole Edition 268 with Jamie Cato. It is, and we are, playing with the shadow. Welcome and well met. We shall be talking, amongst other things, about yourself and the documentary you have recently created. Well met. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So something we do on the uh, podcast, like I told you before, is to correspond the number of the episode, uh, which in this case I think was 268, um, with the major arcana of the tarot, and in this episode, it's going to be the chariot card. I'm confident that with discipline, I will succeed. So the chariot card is about taking charge of your own destiny, seizing the moment, letting the momentum carry you forward, finishing what you set into motion. Don't hesitate. You can do this. Raphael, what card are you pulling? We have got, this looks like art. What a big surprise. Number 14. Usually it's called temperance in the right weight. This is combination of forces, accuracy, efficiency, realization, action based on accurate calculation. And of course, temperance is all about recombining yourself after the 13th death, you know, creating a new self, I would say, mm. artistically. That's one of my cards. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, is there anything popping on uh, the synchronistic front for you? Well, this temperance is, is one of my cards because I'm born on the 14th of the month. Uh, so that's one of my guys. Um, it's funny, I've just recently had a tarot. Um, I love the chariot as well, sticking to the path and persevering. And um, we just lost your friend, I think. Did he just? Uh, he hit himself. He's a... No, no, okay. I'm here. I'm just doing the, the background stuff the and re re rearranging everyone, you know, so. Wow. He's a Libra. He's all about his books. Yeah. I just had a little beautiful thing made from the uh, the Crowley Tarot, which is one of the most beautiful decks. And it's like each each card is like a sort of huge painting. And I've had this thing made, which is my three main cards, which is the Fool, then the Magician, and then the Emperor. And um, I feel you on that full card life, magician life. I got you on that. Yeah. Uh, and the emperor. Okay. So that's the cards you were pulling for that. It was like, a, those a the cards that have always been the ones that have just come up for me in my life and signify my life the most. As an if I'm not mistaken, you're a Leo, right? That's right. It's a full moon in Leo right now as we speak. Apexing as we speak. So I thought it was rather synchronistic on that front. Um, incorrect. You are right. He said it was the art card and your documentary, which we'll get into um, becoming nobody. Um, is very artistically done. I think it's one of the better documentaries I've ever seen. And I've seen a shit ton of films. I might be a little biased because I'm into that kind of thought process. Like if you just showed this film to, you know, an Amish community or something, maybe they wouldn't like jam on the same cylinder. But um, I thought you did such a good job and it's really good. I want to get into that. But um, before we kind of go down that rabbit hole, um, you can be as lengthy, you know, call me Ishmael, 
however long uh, or brief as you would like to be, but um, kind of tell us a little about yourself. Um, you know, where you grew up, what culture you were in. Yeah. What sort of putting you on the path towards awakening? Yeah, I guess, you know, I grew up in a very, very um, kind of emotionally closed, uh, wealthy, but um, emotionally not wealthy childhood and um, spent a lot of time alone and was always very sort of creative, which didn't also didn't really especially fit with my family. And um, yeah, I think that pushed me. I think what, what was really the sort of interesting thing was that, you know, it pushed me into having a lot of sort of mental illness during my teenage years. I had like really brutal, brutal uh, panic attacks and meltdowns. And those were in the, in the days where they didn't have the phrase panic attacks yet. You know, no one kind of knew what it was and they just, you know, it was, it was all kind of mysterious. And, um, but it was through my needing to go on certain explorations in order to survive those experiences that led me to Ramdas and led me to learning how to breathe properly, learning how to express myself with my art and uh, music. I began as a musician when I was in my early 20s. And uh, I had a very, very, my best friend died when I was 20. And we started a band to kind of celebrate his, you know, we were very spiritual in our late teens. We would spend a lot of time taking mushrooms and going and praying up in the Scottish Highlands and not in a religious way. We weren't, we weren't really very religious, but we, we, we combined everything that just felt like a really direct transmission of the source to us compassionately, reverently, doing a lot of body work with chi work, with qigong. And, you know, we were kind of mixing it all together and we used to stay up in the highlands of Scotland in the middle of nowhere and um, then started playing music and had a, had a group called the Big Truth Band, which was like modeled after the Irish band the Hot House Flowers. We just wanted to play gospel rock and roll about how beautiful it was to be connected to spirit. It was the most unfashionable thing to be doing at that moment while the rest of the world was wearing sportswear and dancing to techno nightclubs. We were wearing purple flares and, and smoking pot and, and, and uh, doing five-part harmonies. And, you know, we were sort of 30 years out of date. And then I got into a group... Um, I was invited into a group that was just starting up and I ended up being one of the founder members of this group called Faithless, which was a very techno group, but was the the biggest kind of techno group of the late 90s. They had a track called Insomnia, which was like a multi-million selling thing and we would tour all over the world playing with Sting and the Fuji. And just like Faithless is like super famous. This is like God-tier famous, no? Yeah. We Even were, in we were, my you know, knowledge of pop music and tech I was like, well, I have to, I have to take Everyone that. knows I mean, that track, you know? I'm everyone sure I know knows it if I've heard it. I'm it. Sure everyone knows it, I'm sure. So we had a lot of luck. And, and while, I was in, while I was in Faithless from like, um, I was also directing the videos. And so um, I, I was lucky enough that when I left Faithless in, in the millennium, uh, I was very much more into what we used to call world music, you know, like the palette of musicians you know, you can do like techno music, which is very samey and very ordered and very, you expect everything that happens. There's no surprises in it. But when I discovered Peter Gabriel's Passion album, The Last Temptation of Christ soundtrack, and David Byrne and Brian Eno's album, My Life in the Bush of Ghosts, and certain other albums which were, you know, recording with artists from all over the world, I totally fell in love with what we used to call world music. And there was Peter Gabriel had a festival called WOMAD, World of Music and Dance. 
And it just blew my mind suddenly being among all these Pakistani Kwali singers and African drummers and Indian wind flute players and and Australian didgeridoos and percussionists from Morocco. Suddenly this whole new palette of sound opened up to me and my friend Duncan and I were falling in love with it so much, but we didn't really like their albums. We loved the musicians, we loved the singers, but the actual world music CDs and tapes that you could get at the time, they didn't sound that great to us. We had a mission of like, we must be able to make music that makes these guys sound amazing, <laughs> as amazing as they are. So we started a project uh, called One Giant Leap um, and started combining all these different musicians together, immediately got a record deal from Chris Blackwell, who signed Bob Marley and U2. He was a guy that had Island Records. Okay. Um, and he signed us and said, you know, this is the best world music fusion I've ever heard. And But he said, we're now not called Island Records anymore. We're called Palm Pictures because there's this new thing coming out called DVD. Um, and everything is going to be films now as well as music. So you need to come up with a movie idea to go with your album. Now, I had I had been um, ex- corresponding with David Byrne before that on, an, on another project going around the world, and he had said to me, you know, Jamie, it's not that interesting just filming people going around the world plugging in instruments. It's not actually going to be a very – it's a great idea, but actually it doesn't make for a very interesting film. So we knew we had to do something more than just go around the world and record our music sessions. Then we had this idea because it was a DVD, which is kind of like a disc, that – we could make sucks. I know what a DVD is. <laughs> yeah, because it was a disc, it was like an album. We could make a short movie, like a 10-minute or 15-minute film for every track on the album. Right. Um, and we the could add a spiritual or life theme to each of the um, songs. So one would be centered around God, one would be death, one would be sex, one would be money. Subjects which, whether you were in an African hut or in a penthouse in Los Angeles, Everyone can talk about universal themes. So we went around the world shooting all this visual footage and interviewing all our favorite people like Ram Dass, Eckhart Tolle, Dennis Hopper, Kurt Vonnegut, um, singing with like the greats like Michael Stipe and Alanis Morissette and Carlos Santana on guitar, Brian Eno on keyboards, Stuart Copeland from The Police on the drums. You know, we've got all our heroes, but also all these amazing authors and spiritual people, but also people in the street, criminals, sex workers, skate kids. We just interviewed everyone about God, sex, death, money, time. And then we, we made all these short films uh, that went with all the tracks on the album. And we, we got nominated for a couple of Grammys that year. And so we were like swanning about New York um, with the first one, Giant Leap album. And, and then we did another album, What About Me, which was much more about the shadow and insanity. And that was in like 2006, 2007. And... Um, and I got much. I was getting much, much more into the sort of shadow because I'd always also been spiritually seeking my way through my panic attacks and my mental illness and my fragility. So I was already a little bit kind of familiar with shadow work and and unediting all the things that we have suppressed and you know hurt ourselves with and all the different just stupid ways that we've been brought up, the wrong rule books that we've been given, all the sort of lack of vulnerability and lack of authenticity and. I was already, like, as an artist, very much wanting to pull the curtain away from all the things which were hidden and talk more about authenticity and a deeper connection and um, and all the things which modern culture sh- shies away from with its masks and its superficiality. Um, 
And then um, I started, as well as making the films and the music, I started being interested in running creative groups and workshop groups and mentoring all around this subject. So I started doing mentoring and groups, um, a, a kind of a workshop business uh, called Insanely Gifted. And I wrote a book called Insanely Gifted. And we do we do groups of like 20 to 40 to sometimes 200 people called Transforming Shadows, where we go and meet all the crazy characters that live in our heads and change our relationship with them uh, and make friends with them instead of trying to get rid of them and go deeper into our bodies somatically and, again, become wine tasters of our edges and our difficult things rather than in rejection and escape and numbing of them. And that's always been my way. That's always been Ramdas's way, is turning towards the melodrama and being sweet and loving with it rather than escaping it. And that's why I've always loved him. And other teachers like Pema Chodron is another great one, Chogyam Rinpoche, Trumpa Rinpoche. And uh, I've always, but out of all the teachers and spiritual tourism that I've frequented, my first love was Ramdas. And Ramdas continued to be my best and favorite teacher all the way through my life. So, you know, I around 2013, 14, 15, I can't remember. I remember thinking to myself that I love Ramdas's the films Ramdas is in, the movies, but none of them really get across what a wonderful sacred clown he is, how hilarious he is, how just heartbreakingly beautifully real he is, teaching from the middle of the mess <clears throat> rather than from on high. You know, he's so ungrandiose. And uh, I've always loved him for that. And so I rang up the Ramdas Foundation. I already knew them a little bit because he Ramdas was in both the One Giant Leap movie and my What About Me movie. So I'd already kind of hung out with him quite a lot. And I said, look, there isn't the definitive Ramdas movie, the one where you watch it and you just get him, you know, his humor, his genius. And and can I please make it? And they said, yeah, sure. Here's the keys to the archive. Knock yourself out. Um, they That's already- fun. Giant Leap, and and none of my documentaries and none of my movies, like it's not a biography. It's not like he was born in Boston and da da da. I couldn't no. care less about biography. Yeah. The transmission of wisdom. So the movie isn't really about Ramdas. The movie's about you. It's about whoever's watching it, receiving this amazing hour and a half of his greatest hits of his wisdom and his story. So it really takes you on a journey. It was very drive-by gnosis like that. I mean, you're right. It's not like what I'm asking you right now is more biographical. Like, tell us, you know, from seedling to tree, what are you? Um, what you did in terms of the flow of that film. And I didn't mean to cut you off, but you're right. It is, um, it almost feels like, not like a mushroom trip. That's kind of a strong statement. But it's, it feels like you're just having glimpses of visions of moments of his uh, journey, of his journey. And because we're all kind of wrapped up in the dream together, uh, that necessarily resonates in oneself. And, you know. It, 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 you did it beautifully. I, I didn't mean to cut off your flow. You can keep talking, but it's like no, no, yeah, I said, so that, that was my flow. That was my potted biography of my artistic life. Well, what do you? I mean, that uh, that dropped. I think in twenty nineteen. Yeah, I think it was twenty nineteen exactly. I, I, I was lucky uh, that they decided to put it in the cinemas. You know, a lot of these kind of films they they don't get actually to the big screen. This one very luckily went across all these indie, indie cinemas. So I. I had this beautiful experience of going coast to coast across America, giving talks at all these little cinemas in, in crazy places like Sedona and all, all these sort of mad hippie places and, and meeting all these wonderful, you know, a lot of the people like, like there's a lot of young people that love Ramdas, but you, you know, you have to know that, you know, many, many big part of his following are gray haired, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're the elders 
Um, yeah. and so, you know, a lot of the cinemas were full of elder people and it was just so cool to be among people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, like they all came out to see the movie, you know, because they all love Ramdas from back in the day. There were some young people there as well, but it was it was like it was a wonderful sort of hippie reunion across America during that tour. <laughs> Beautifully put. I'm definitely going to pepper all over this place. So, um, I, I mean, I want to talk more deeply about, you know, your thoughts on reality. It seems like you dreamed of yourself a beautiful dream, Jamie. Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah. Like you're having a lot of fun. I mean, Leah, talk about uh, considering how traumatized and broken you felt you were coming from, like the, the conditions that you accepted as Mission Earth or whatever um, in terms of your upbringing. Um, you rose through them quite well, it looks like. I mean, it sounds... Yeah, I was really lucky. I was just really lucky. You know, I, I look at it all as luck. You know, it's like some people receive terrible abuse in their childhood. I'm not one of them. Um, and they come out as abusers. And some people receive terrible abuse and come out as angels. And it's kind of luck. I don't think it means that the people that came out as angels are better than the people that came out as abusers. They were just lucky that they met the right social worker or read the right spiritual book or got exposed to the right kirtan ceremony where they luckily got their spirit held you know i, I think it's just like or you can say it's karma maybe but but it's certainly the ego it's not the a better ego or a worse ego whether you've I got lucky it. enough to get the support you know? yeah in terms we, of logical just... presuppositions i yeah we can go deep down these rabbit holes it's like well is it you know are we reflecting the experiences we desire and then we have free will choice and it's like you're who knows yeah, yeah. But I had this funny experience when I was leaving school because they really, they were horrible in school. Like, this kid's a problem, you know, because I never kind of went the academic route. And they were pretty pretty nasty. And I didn't want to go to university for that reason. It was like, there's no way I'm going to carry on having lessons and essays and, you know, no way. So I immediately got a job in this animation company, this movie company as a runner. Uh, it, was the it was the company that was making Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Classic. And, uh, Love and that so that was my first job was the animation runner on that movie. And um, what was amazing was is that I was the runner. I was the lowest of the low. And the way they treat the runner is total ambivalence. They don't give a fuck. You know, they don't care about you at all. Uh, you know, you're making the tea. You're carrying the thing down the road. You know, they don't care about you. But for me, being treated in this ambivalent kind of just like not interested way, it was such a step up from how I had been treated at school. I thought Neutrality. to myself, these people fucking love me. And I <laughs> I excelled and I shone and was so confident. I had such a confidence boost by being treated like being ignored <laughs> that, that, that I just had real lucky success after that because I had such a confidence boost. Beautiful. Raphael, what were you going to say? No, I was, maybe this was part of the answer. I was just asking whether, and of course, you know, like Jim said, we can... Uh, think about different theories, but just for yourself, would you say there was a particular threshold moment where you would say, okay, I really want to transform, you know, whatever level of abuse, which unfortunately almost anyone has endured. Uh, was a particular moment for you or was it like a longer term process? Or would you say, oh, you really just got lucky because of that job. Otherwise you would have gone down another route because it doesn't sound like that. This one yeah, aspect. I don't know. I, I feel like I have been so blessed and so looked after and it sounds kind of like cocky, to say I've also had a lot of near-death experiences where I just have no business coming out alive. Um, times where I was supposed to be on a plane and then at the last minute somebody called me to do something else and the plane went down and everybody died. You know, I've had experiences like that. And uh, really... been, I've been so looked after. So, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't believe in destiny because it sounds like whatever, but I, I do believe that I have followed every lead. You know, I certainly like I really, really wanted to be part of 
the things which have made my heart burst with joy, which is music, philosophy, beautifully expressed philosophy, humor, comedy, um, great, beautiful aesthetic visuals, artistic things. Um, those things have always just made my whole body light up, you know, have made me feel so much aliveness uh, that I've always wanted to showcase it for everyone else. And it's like a, it's, an, it's, an, it's an expression of intimacy that I've discovered, for example, when we discovered world music or we discovered it for ourselves and Baba Mal in Senegal or Harry Prasad Charesia in India or whoever, and you, you're so blown away by it, you want the whole world to see it. You're like, hey, everyone, look at this. You know, like that's an aspect of me that is like a big part of my my bid for intimacy with the world is to try and turn people on and go, hey, listen to this. Hey, look at that. Hey, listen to what Randas is saying and how he's saying it. Isn't that amazing? It's like how you would with your friends, you know, like, hey, look at this, look at that. That's that's always been like my artistic life is trying to get people, do you get this? Like me too, you know, that that excitement of sharing something that turns you on. It's funny because it sounds like you were starved of that as a kid. So, I mean, what you found, you found it in the after math of that situation i very much i mean why do you think you're on here i was like holy shit this guy's cool he's got a great documentary let's get him on I, um my senior quote in high school uh, which is a while ago but it's like a winton marcellus quote from uh, he's on ken burns jazz uh series really smart cat um experiencing great things makes us want to do great things ourselves and that's exactly. kind of what you're saying yeah it's like holy exactly. shit I'm, I'm a conduit for the buzz of joy and i want you to feel this if you can receive it yeah. um i mean that's what we're all here to do and it's so that's obvious you get it. Is. yeah um, all right. There's many questions. I, I'm curious. I, I kind of just rewind all the way back. Um, what <laughs> I mean, uh, we had um, Richard Rudd on who did Gene Keys and stuff like that. And he well, was, he was my best friend when I was 17. And he's who I had the cottage with in the Highlands where we were. That's what I was going to ask. Because I was like, he was doing crazy shit up in the Highlands and jumping in pools of water. Yeah, exactly. That was me and him. I was literally thinking about him again because I always bring this up because he very well put how much like, you know, body understanding and so on he had. And you also, it didn't talk much about that, but somehow he came into my mind just when you were talking. It was okay, crazy. In the teacher that was showing us all this stuff. And like making you run behind a truck and all that? When we were 18 and 19. <laughs> it sounded like a hardcore experience. Like it was almost like Bear Grylls, like Harry Potter or something. It, it, it was like, like that. It was freaky because we were like, we had agreed with this guy that we would do anything he said. We just decided as an experiment, yeah. fuck it, we'll just do whatever. I mean, obviously, if he said- Like guru yeah, style, basically? Kind of, like that kind of a, we thought, let's just try it, you know? And yeah. obviously, if he says something to do that we're really not gonna yeah, do- Disempower we do yourself. It. It's like, oh, yeah. I'm out of here. <laughs> you would go out walking barefoot in the highlands for hours and hours till you couldn't feel your feet below the knee. And then he would make us run down steep hills, which were icy so that you could let go of having any control. Then we would stand up on rocks and close your eyes so you could only feel the chi in your ears, which are the opening is the kidneys in Chinese medicine, um, which is, you know, the water element, and then jump with your eyes closed into the freezing. The water's so cold it burns you. It's like insane in November in the highlands, you know. You have to be mad. Uh, and we just did that day after day for months. We were doing chi work, meditation stuff, Osho stuff, Mantak Chia stuff, um we just totally immersed ourselves in the physical as well as yeah pushing our boundaries on on wanting to just be god's waiters you know just wanting to to serve wanting to bring as much good vibes as we possibly could then i went he went into more poetry and the gene key stuff and i went in more into music stuff 
Do you guys ever talk and collaborate still? Yeah, we so like, let's get you guys all on episode together. Holy shit. Because I, I mean, we'll talk about that later, but it's like, oh, I would love to watch you guys banter and just recollect. Um, so that was one thing I was pulling back because I was like, I we've had a guest who fucked around in his youth in the Highlands, and clearly my intuition wasn't off. Um, so when you came to America, it was Rick's uh, cottage that we were staying in. Right, yeah. Um, and, and he, it sounded like almost like, like you were saying spiritual boot camp. And I'm glad it's weird because you were willing to get out of your comfort zone. And usually that's where the gold is. Um, staying in your comfort zone is it's helpful to be balanced and, you know, like kind of in your zone or whatever, but it can be very ossifying, uh, to a large degree. And it seemed like, I mean, I know, um, vaguely Richard's chart is, um, uh, he's like a Virgo, hardcore Virgo, right? So he's going to be about health and all this kind of stuff. Doesn't surprise me. You guys were on the path of like purification through trial by fire and that kind of stuff. We also felt pretty special. We're both sort of arrogant, white, privileged, rich kids. That's right? not fucking glorify it too much. Um, well, we're all we, human, yeah. we, we were on a special person's trip as well. Like we felt we had found something special and we were bringing none of our friends were into it. You know, they were all drinking beer and, you know, like right. no one was doing that we, we felt like we were onto something as well you know like we really felt a form of privilege that we had sort of found yeah like the harry potter wizard school like we really thought you got the hogwarts letter it's okay, and, there's not, and it's not a competition but just yeah. from my humble perspective from what you just told me because i hadn't known you and from what i know from richard i mean highly successful and highly accurate in terms of you found something i would say no yeah. <laughs> totally yeah um, so I'm kind of curious when you were, um, I think uh, I might be conflating some of your memories because it was kind of uh, a pastiche and I'm like, all right, try to, you were talking about uh, hanging out with all these like um, Dennis Hopper and people. What were some of those lasting impressions of those experiences? I mean, were some, you don't have to be like a gossip. I am a cinnamon Gemini, so I'm kind of yeah, curious. No, I, I really wanted to connect with the people that had really inspired me. You know, I was not, I realized I was not going to get the mail transmission from my dad. Right. Uh, and so I went to go and get it from all the males who had inspired me, Kurt Vonnegut, the author Tom Robbins, um, Ram Dass, Dennis Hopper, Tim Robbins, the actor, um, tons of authors that I loved who are a little bit more obscure, Eckhart Tolle, people that, you know, have brought the male service lyrically in. And... And I just was sort of part of me was also trying to get seen. It wasn't just about. You are a Leo. Huh? You are a Leo. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to be mirrored that I was part of their family. Like I wanted mm. to be included in the big boys table. You know, I wanted like you can see in the movie Becoming Nobody, I'm constantly trying to get Ramdas to anoint me. You know, <laughs> it's just like some kid has come along to try. I think I say it in the first line of the movie, I've come to get the, the keys to the executive spiritual washroom. Like I, that was a big part of going and seeing all these people was wanting to get them to make me feel included in their world and that I was one of them. You know, that's that was a big part of like I was looking for my belonging. I think that's the hero's journey, though. Like you don't have to feel specifically bad about that. Like it's like a yeah. narcissistic or whatever. No, I think you know, no, like okay with it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I want to get to that documentary later, but yeah, there, I mean, um, you brought up your father. It seemed like there was. Uh, how would I put it? We search for what we feel we're missing in life. You know, like if we feel neglected in a certain way or like we're not expressing, usually we, that's where the wound is and we have to enter it. It seems. Yeah. Um, and then that's where we find the gold in that, in that sense. And hopefully we can come out the other side and, and know that's possible in everybody that everybody's basically doing the same thing at different, different degrees in a sense. Yeah. So it's like, you know, caterpillars aren't better than giraffes or vice versa. It's just kind of different manifestations of the one. Um, 
but I, I was curious. I mean, these personalities are pretty. I mean, I haven't read much, if any, actually, Kurt Vonnegut, but I'm aware of him peripherally with uh, Slaughterhouse Five. Um, Have you read Tom a, Robbins, Jitterbug Perfume, and even Cowgirls Get the Blues? I am, I am so much more less, uh, so much less cultured than you might presume. Um, no, I'll have to <laughs> check great. out this stuff. He's great. Um, so, what were some of the takeaways, though? I mean, these are really a kind of obscure people. Uh, do they scare you? Like, I know that um, you know Salvador Dali types can be very intense. <laughs> Um, in their personas of themselves in that sense? were they No, you know, for what? me it was the opposite. It was all of us sitting there agreeing with each other. You know, like it was not It was not a challenge. It was like, yeah, I think that too. Like it was like I was kind of interviewing them, but I was really also trying to, you know, I was talking about things like, you know, how screwed up we all are as a nation sexually and how, how afraid of death we are. In the One Giant Leap movie there's a scene where we filmed the burning ghats in Varanasi in India where they where they burn the bodies next to the river to purify them when they die. And so we did a sequence where you had all these bodies being lifted ceremonially onto the thing and burnt intercut with a Los Angeles plastic surgeon who's describing a boob job and a nose job and how much it costs. And so we would juxtapose a lot of our modern superficial culture things with deeper things to make illustrations about how we're all afraid of death or how we're all totally masked there's a whole chapter on masks um, which is dedicated to ramdas so it was all different things i knew that i'd read from them that i loved that i was trying to get them to repeat because they were the themes of the movie it's uh rafa did you want to say something no just uh, kind of noting and you know this may be because of many reasons you know there's pitfalls for the ego or whatever everywhere but it also very much sounds like those individuals you may have looked up to upon approaching and engaging them in conversation, they actually turned out to be genuine, for lack of a better term, or to have the yeah. integrity they were projecting, let's say, because too often there's also stories about, you know, people being big shamans and high spiritualists, yeah, and then they, they are totally rude or, you know, like... There were <laughs> a few, but I'm not going to name them. Oh, you're cool. Okay, yeah, okay. I don't, that's like, I don't, I don't care. But, but at least mainly, like, you know, it's uh, the ones you mentioned already yeah, is good no, to I'm know, really you know, like if they're for real, so that's cool, yeah. yeah. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, no, they were very beautiful and very generous. And we made it very easy. A lot of people said, how did you get all these people in the movie? Do you know what I mean? Uh, Big cameos. We just had this really great way of saying, listen, we will come to you wherever you are. We will not stay one minute longer than you want. And we will show you the cut at the end. And if you don't like it, don't sign the release form. So we, so we couldn't have made it easier for them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and I mean, as you know, people like talking about themselves, but in some weird way, it's tricky because you can get into this whole modality of like, let's, you know, be silent and ohm and be in the in the space or whatever, hyper spiritualism or however you might want to put that just conversation breaking bread. I mean, just having a good chat and, exactly. and getting to know each other in the trenches, man, this is life. Yeah. This is happening. Like this is we're here. We embarked and, well, and you say relating. That, when we did the second movie, What About Me, which was much more about the shadow and collective insanity and stuff like that my i had my wife left me halfway we were traveling around the world again for six months mm. but with this time my wife and kids were with me and she left me halfway through the trip so i was like totally devastated yeah. totally heartbroken and then the interviews i did started getting good it was like until that horrible point i was just going around trying to get good cop footage trying to repeat the same formula that would take us to the grannies last time and i was I was kind of cocky and, you know, like finding it quite easy. But then when she left, suddenly now when I'm interviewing Eckhart Toller or whatever, I needed to know the answers to the questions. For me, I wasn't trying to Correct. get good footage. I was yeah. really fucked up. And then the movie came together and suddenly we started getting really, really 
brilliant footage, but you didn't get two free lunches. You had to pay the piper with the heartbreak. Art becomes life becomes art kind of yeah. Ouroboros, uh, just kind of how it works. I'm sorry that you went through that, but at some level, I'm sure um, there's, you know, lessons there. Yeah, uh, sure. Raphael. Yeah. Anytime Raphael pops up, I'm presuming he wants to. No, say no, no. I'll, I'll, I'll make myself heard. Don't worry. Um, when you're talking about the masks that I was watching, like literally right, right before this, I had seen the movie when I reached out to you originally. Like I pretty much watched your film and then messaged you right away, and I was like, "This is a big, a long shot. I've never tried to get a director or anybody. You know, we talked to cool people. Well done, like Jim. Thank you. <laughs> hey, I just felt this. I felt it was needed. I mean, this is a um, becoming nobody is a really important film to watch. In this, if you're a spiritual seeker, if you're just interested in Ram Dass, I'm not. I mean, I'm more into Terrence McKenna and Alan Watts, and I, I, I'm now turning on but to Ram Dass because just in a me. very simple way, Ram Dass. I mean, we briefly, you know, to also me getting my references straight. Uh, Be here now, you know, as we mentioned, that's like I guess his most popular or famous book. Yeah. Uh, I got it shown by an American friend of mine many years ago, and I was just like, oh, what is this? You know, you open it, and it is all, it's so, you know, probably in line, although I haven't seen it yet, with the artistic, how to call it, syncretism or whatever that you may also apply, you know, just a book that isn't really a book because it's, you know, written upside down, all these things, but really it's super. Art directed. Say again? It's psychedelically art directed. It's a square thing with all mandalas all over the place and stuff. Right. Yeah. So that's, I guess, maybe the easiest entry point for anyone. Uh, I'm not sure. Probably it's even online. Otherwise, you know, get the book, just open it and, you know, you'll be fascinated. And what I somewhat want to get at, maybe, you know, I'm taking a turn away now from from Jim's lead, but um, the style of uh, spirituality or perception that's being presented or the vibe I'm getting is one that I very much agree with. Um, but it's also, uh, how should I say? It's it's a version of spirituality. I would say that's not so um, not so much of a competition or not so much of a struggle or a strife, because I sense there's like many spiritual concepts where, in one way or another, you get still get into this mode of like a linear achievement process or something. And the vibe that I got from Ram Das was pretty much like, yeah, be here now. Uh, I think the linear achievement is a big problem because it's it's only that ego that wants to achieve and follow its school days and try and be slightly better than everyone else and like i'm gonna get enlightened first like it's yeah study harder you know i'll have <laughs> yeah. yeah for me in my workshops and my whole insanely gifted business we have a thing which is please treat all self-development as entertainment nothing more there we yeah. go there we go low-hanging fruit you know if it drops if your soul wants it to drop in your hand it'll drop in your hand if it doesn't there's no about of banging your head against the zen wall which will make it drop in your hand. So instead of always going deep scuba and being terribly proud about it, just have a gentle time snorkeling around the edge. And your soul, if it needs you to go deeper, it will push you deeper. It's not your ego's job to decide how deep you go. It's your soul's job. And believe me, if it thinks that you're slacking, it will send something down the line. Oh, yeah. You know, so you don't need to worry. Um. I, I don't have to push on it much, but when you were talking in the um, film about masks, um, I, it, apparently it's a theme for Ram Dass. Like I said, I, I, you're pretty much my exposure to him. I've had, you know, hippie friends or whatever be like, read Be Here Now. And I'm like, I'm checking out all sorts of stuff. Like I'm turning on to psychedelics and astrology and everything. Um, you know, the, the all-you-can-eat buffet or like in uh, the, uh, what's it called? The, the In Jodorowsky's Holy Mountain, it's like the um, 
Panopticon bar or something like that. I forget what it's called. Uh, anyway, it's the bar where you can kind of get distracted before you get to the mountain. I've been there for a while, and now I'm starting to find distilled things as opposed to just like hyperly like novel things are cool, but like you can tell what has a ring of truth or not. I digress. The, my my question, I guess, is um, when we're talking about masks and stuff. Uh, on the one hand, in a spiritual sense, it's like, look at us playing, you know, we're the infinite, like viewing ourselves through these things, even in that documentary, uh, in your film, um, you know, like we, we asked to be here, we paid the ticket, uh, we're taking the ride, like, let's not avoid it. It seems there's a kind of balance between like becoming so embroiled, um, in the role that you forget it's a game versus, Absolutely. um, you got to you, you can't yeah. be rejecting the ego. You've come to earth. You're going to be a human. You're going to have an ego. It's going to include greed and neediness and competition. And where do I fit in and insecurities and vulnerability? It's going to, it's going to have all that stuff. It's your humanity. You can't reject it, but you have another part of yourself. Usually when those ego parts wake up, they put the lovely wise kind adult that you are the awake one to sleep. You get spiritual narcolepsy every single time you get anxious or triggered. So the game is, can I be the ego, have the ego running, be on the stage, believing that you're you and I'm me and having a duality experience um, and be the lovely wise one watching it, chuckling away, knowing that after the show, we're all going to go and get dinner um, at the same time. So like Ramdas suggests, just be in two places. You have to be in two places at once. But you're not spiritual and awakened. That's not measured by how much of your humanity you can eradicate. And that's where the big trap is for a lot of people think they're being spread. I've eradicated my anger. I've eradicated my greed. I've eradicated my neediness. I've eradicated my vulnerability as if that's making them more and more spiritual, but actually it's making them less and less spiritual because it's let more and more denial of themselves, more and more suppression of themselves and their humanity, more and more lack of compassion and, and welcoming to themselves. So that these people who think that they're getting more spiritual by eradicating all the yucky human parts are actually going in the opposite direction. It's by welcoming those parts and accepting I'm a human ego. I don't mind that I'm needy. It's not about that you should never be needy. It's that when you are, don't mind. It's like, oh, there I am being needy. Ah, oh, there I am getting angry. Not letting it take over because you're watching it. You're still at the wheel. But you still allow it all to be there and go, oh, that's adorable. And the more the more you can find every single one of those human traits adorable instead of a spiritual failing, then you know you're on the right path. If every time you catch yourself being, you go, oh, were you rude to that old woman? Oh, should we go and say sorry? You treat yourself like a three-year-old basically all the time. You fall over, you pick yourself up, you dust yourself down, you look sheepishly at God, you carry on. You fall down. You pick yourself up, you dust yourself down, you look sheepishly at God, you carry on. But you always treat every so-called failure as an adorable thing instead of a spiritual failing. The moment you get exasperated with yourself, you've fallen asleep and you're going in the opposite direction. The moment that slave driver under the guise of trying to keep you spiritual has slipped in, it means you're not in control of your shadows. We all have a slave driver who wants us to get there fast. We all have a slave driver who wants to say, you're not doing it well enough. All the people that criticized us and shamed us from our childhood that we've internalized. It's all going on. And if you, and meditation is hearing all those voices, the inner critic, the slave driver, the victim that's always thinking it's being persecuted and that life's unfair, the naive child, this time it's going to be different, the sex maniac, the vengeful murderer, the martyr pleaser rescuer who thinks they made a deal with God that if they keep self-abandoning, somehow life will treat them well, that's a deal nobody agreed to. 
all those characters live in our head and more. Meditation is seeing them all vie for power, seeing them all say their stuff constantly. All that thinking, thinking, thinking is them. I call it head fuck FM. It's all the combination of all those characters that are trying to protect you, basically. Meditation is from the moment we're awake to the moment we go to sleep is to notice all of them, but never let them have the wheel and see everything they say as a menu. But it's not about denying them or suppressing them or eradicating them or dissolving them. They're always going to be there. Your special cast of one flew over the cuckoo's nest that lives in your brain. Everybody has their special needs characters that live in their head. Can you love them, welcome them home, listen for their legitimate needs, meet their legitimate needs healthily, but not give them power over the road ahead, but but neither suppress them, allow them to be there, love them, uh, and chuckle with them and find them adorable, but just not give them the wheel to the car. So it is about uh, integration, not exclusion. It is about unconditional, ultimately, uh, self-acceptance. And I really love what you said. I actually apply a similar technique <laughs> in terms of, like you said, I would term it almost seeing yourself as a child of God, primarily a child. How would you, you know, in the most loving sense, treat a child when it's, you know, failing or crying or whatever? You wouldn't, if you're, you know not hardened yet and still human you wouldn't go and be like oh you're so stupid you know you'll never amount to anything exactly you'd be super gentle and you'd be like oh you know you tripped again or whatever or again you got confused in your negative belief system you know whatever pity depression frustration um and just like you said have this simultaneous perspective higher self perspective of seeing the grander picture knowing this is not the only life uh, and uh, however it can be you know ever so more uh, amusing, fun and exciting, the more you simply don't scold yourself unnecessarily. I always call it, don't unnecess unnecessarily chastise yourself, you know, exactly. like there's no point. And people have got a very wrong idea of spirituality if they think they need to keep eradicating those less than holy parts. It's one of the great cons. Well, it's interesting. a few things come to mind, like Gandalf, it seems like I got a Gandalf vibe with yourself, where it's like, oh, silly little hobbits you know kind of like yeah you hand you handle yourself a little more Fool it, of a it, for, yeah, well i was gonna say that's like he wasn't chill on that front like there's like a you yeah, throw boundaries. yourself in next time <laughs> <laughs> exactly um uh my fiance is actually in stoke on trent uh so we just read lord of the rings and she had never read them before so it's kind of fresh on my mind um but uh the idea is on the one hand you have this kind of like hmm, kind authority i guess um, but then in a films like Cloud Atlas, um, if you've seen that movie with Tom Hanks, um, I know the there's this, the movie. I haven't read the book. See, I'm so less cold. Uh, Jim, get on it. Like I'm, I'm distractible. I got to get on it. That's okay. Um, Slave Bring it in. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. It's like, here, let's watch me whip myself. Um, <laughs> basically the old Georgie thing. I'm wondering how you look at discernment because on the one hand, it's like, everything's all good, but you want to progress. So how, how, how do you deal with that balance in a sense? I mean, it's all good, sure, but then it's like we're trying to mature in a healthy way. Like, Well, you want to progress, whatever that means, but let's say it's true. Mm. Do you progress lovingly, joyfully, let's skip through the orchard together, or do you mm. progress slave driving, oh, no, well enough? It's not about the progression. It's about the tone of voice you're talking to yourself in while you progress. Right. The moment it starts going exasperation, disappointment, guilt tripping it means that's not progression it means you're hurrying too fast mm. or you think you're but as long as you're it's like a three-year-old just like um, your pal was just saying 
If a three-year-old is progressing, it's sniffing the flowers on the way to school. It's noticing the funny rainbow on the thing. It's saying hello to the guy doing the roadworks. It's progressing. The moment you're dragging that child along going, come on, put your shoes on, and stressing that kid out and giving it shit for not moving fast enough or for that's not progression. So the way you can tell, am I progressing healthily or am I doing something unhealthy is in the tone of voice you're speaking to yourself in, the level of stress you're feeling versus the level of relaxation. God does not want you to have to stress yourself out and self-harm, essentially, in order to get where you want to go. Water, when it's flowing down the mountain, just finds the simplest route past the rocks down. It just naturally goes at exactly the right pace down its mountain. It's not hurrying anywhere. So if you need to ask yourself on a moment by moment that question, am I progressing or am I slave driving? Check out the tone of voice you're speaking to yourself in. Check out the level of tension in your body and then you'll have your answer. Right, because there's development in it, it, development is natural, like whether it's in utero or an acorn to a tree. So it seems like progression in that sense is not desirable, but inherent. And then it just turns into like, um, you know, I mean, a bonsai tree is progressing, but my God, it's under ri- very rigid circumstances. It's more of, I mean, it's it's got its own beauty. And in a sense, that's kind of loving the shadow where it's like, wow, there's some people on this trip who really want to be tyrannical. Yes, I guess Sauron can have an army do whatever, but it's a very different motivator than, you know, the the one king returning or whatever. I mean, these are, you know, love and fear are very different motivators uh, on the spectrum. Uh, and I don't think the fear really gets you anywhere. Often it sends you in the opposite direction. It I creates resentment at the very least. Yeah. Um, that's why like in communist, you know, like, I mean, it's weird, but like you see it in the Lord of the Rings films or the books, uh, but the films especially where um, the, the almost Nietzschean vying for power is the undercurrent. And it's like, we're going to behave until we can power usurp you. Or, or something like that. It's a, it's a very will to power kind of situation. Whereas Gandalf and Rivendell and all those, you know, uh, all those characters, um, Tom Bombadil, whoever, they're coming from more of a playful place and an inclusive place that's encouraging you um, from in front as opposed to pushing you from behind. But like you were saying with Gandalf, he's like, I mean, even Gandalf has moments, right? He's human, <laughs> even in the archetypal sense. It's like, yeah, he kind of snapped at uh, Peregrine Took or whoever, um, whatever his name yeah. is. Um, uh, it's tricky because I don't think there's a right answer. This this epi- podcast, this episode, whatever, um, isn't about getting it nailed down. I'm just always fascinated, as I'm sure you are naturally, given your kind of history and repertoire with minds and artists, um, the process of being. I mean, we all do it so differently. And culture, I mean, in a McKenna sense, like culture's not your friend, and yet it's the Petri dish we're growing in. So it's like you can't really escape it, even when you're like countercultural. Like that's just new culture. Like So yeah. like the, you know, the gray-haired people that were going out to the films you were seeing, um, I'm sure they were dealing with Roth IRAs and all sorts of stuff now, but um, the idea is you can't really escape your culture. Just like you, we're not really supposed to escape our bodies. Um, I'm telling you stuff you already know, but I'm just kind of processing it. Yeah, no, I'm just listening to you. I'm listening to you. It's nice. Yeah. Um, I'm curious and we can kind of pepper back and forth on, you know, heavy shit and not like I'm I'm an art history dropout. I'm a musician too. Um, How is Brian? Just to let you know. Jim, and to let you structure questioning, uh, Jamie said, since in the UK, you know, it's late in Europe, we're not going to yeah. go for too long, just so you know, but we already, yeah, you we know. Yeah, we can do 10 more minutes and do another hour, another day. Perfect. Definitely. Perfecto. Yeah, my bad with okay. the technical difficulties. I, of course, rebooted my computer, like, right before you got on. It's like, oh, my God, what have I done? So, um, that took me a second. But I'm curious um, how, like, working, David Byrne is one of the most, inter- I mean, I've, 
uh, you know, people have their politics and ex bands or whatever. I've seen enough interviews with Tina Weymouth and stuff uh, where it seems like they've got some bad sour grapes or whatever. But um, David Burns, a fucking genius. Brian Eno, fucking genius. I mean, you're dealing with like people that I, I mean, if people aren't aware, like very respectable artists in a dimension that isn't usually touched on. Like usually it's like, yeah. hey, look at me, we're doing a pop song. This is stuff like, you know, music for airports or um, most the cream. of the cream of the yeah, genius yeah. that, that I could well, get. Close like to. the tracks like you're cool as fuck so it's like it's not surprising but i'm curious um what maybe some of your experiences with them like positive negative whatever were uh anecdotally i mean you don't have to like like i said gossip but i'm always curious it's like i tell you they all had one thing in common particularly around us particularly michael <laughs> stipe from rem who i who i became like close with they all had this thing in common that they were all trying to communicate to me the same thing which was jamie you're spending, you're trying so hard to be part of the big boys table, to be part of the family, to be with us. Cool. And you're already with us. You're already here. The only right. construct yeah. that says you're not here is you. The only thing keeping you on the outside is your framing. You're welcome here. And Ramdas says it to me in Becoming Nobody. He goes, I sit here with the saints and the angels and my friends that I hang out with, and you're one of them. You're one of them. And you don't see that. Um, and Michael used to say that to me at all. He goes, you know, there's always a place for you at the table. Why why do you act like you're trying to get a place for the t at the table that you're already sitting at with a plate of food in front of you? The only thing that's keeping you from feeling included in where you want to be is your, is your idea about it. Isn't this almost like fractally the issue that many people, when they realize how strange the world is or whatever and want to be reconnected isn't like fractally the same dilemma everyone is facing that ultimately of course not even about being accepted by Ram Das or anything but being accepted accepting yourself you know especially yeah. if there has been any type of trauma the only thing that's childhood. making you not okay or believe that you're not okay is is your is your own beliefs conditioning yeah yeah I mean, what's coming to mind is Lenin's, uh, the only movement you need is on your shoulders. It's, it's just about changing your mind and your perspective just a little. Um, and if you do, I think psychedelics do a really good job of that. Um, people need to be responsible and stuff, but Team Rabbit Hole is all about, you know, doing, I might even eat mushrooms after this, actually. Um, I haven't done it in a while. But now that you're talking about this, it's like, oh, yeah, fairyland. That's always fun. Um, <laughs> we're going to have to do a part two. I know that you um, kind of want to get to bed and stuff. Uh, but, yeah, is there anything that we haven't, I mean, there's a lot I want to talk to you about, but. I'm kind of trying to kind of uh, bring it down. Yeah, I'll say one more thing before we say goodnight, just because it's like, sure. who knows, the world might end and we might not meet again. So just in case we don't, a lot of people ask me, what's one thing that I can do? You know, we talk about a lot of diverse things and shadow work and da -da -da, and it's all kind of like feels a little bit out of reach. You know, what is one thing that everyone can do, that the listeners can do? You know, if you just want a simple first step along this road, that is practical and achievable, I'll give you two things you can do. The first thing is become incredibly aware of the quality of your self-talk. Mm. Just become incredibly aware of the voice you talk to yourself with and make it more kind and encouraging. Everyone can do that. And you'll be amazed when you start looking at it how awful a lot of it is. So just like that is something that is in your power to keep adjusting keep trying to speak to yourself in a more encouraging way um and the other thing which is just incredibly powerful and easy to do is to keep stopping for 60 seconds at different moments in the day 
and having 100% total presence for 60 seconds being where you are. Don't worry about sitting on a cushion meditating for hours. If you could just five times a day stop for one minute and just be so present, absolutely, with the sound of the birds, the feeling of the breeze on your face, the feeling of your feet in your shoes or whatever. It's just like the absolute uber presence for 60 seconds. The way I do it is I recommend to people anytime you use a key, anytime you use steps or stairs, or anytime you use a faucet, you know, a tap, mm -hmm. stop for 60 seconds. There's always time to stop for 60 seconds. Anytime you use a key in your car or your front door or whatever, anytime you use steps or stairs, or anytime you use a tap, water, stop for 60 seconds and you will become so your life will go from black and white to color i will definitely be applying that uh methodology to my own life oh, dude man. you're what you're I, I mean i've picked up on some of your um the stuff you've been putting out in your groups i'm, I'm subscribed to that and um we do a lovely gathering, a community twice a, twice a week for people that don't want to be lonely or don't want to be alone mm. uh on my zoom i'll send it to you uh Every Wednesday evening and Saturday morning, we have like 70 or 80 people just come and read poetry to each other and share stories like we have today and ask questions and talk about the mess and how challenging something's been or if they've just been given a heavy medical diagnosis or whatever. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing to just come and be with each other. And in, in a time like these, um, that's what we're needing to do. I mean, there's kind of a two, you know, yes, there are two roads you can go on. It's like fear, division, isolation, or acceptance, love, and humor i guess i mean just kind of like you know ramdas seemed to be laughing a lot like oh my god these pains today how interesting my god so um yeah i really do appreciate uh your mind i was unaware of how like cross-pollinated you were creatively like that's fascinating to me and i mean on the one hand it's like it's cool but it's like i'm actually interested in your experiences so it's like we got to get you back on and talk uh and, and just talk shop at some point i'll be in Would love to. Really love to. it's been such a pleasure i'm so glad i didn't forget to do this like I, As I, was am just, I. I was going to shut everything down. Then I saw rabbit pod. Why have I written down rabbit pod? Um, and um, then I, I, I searched in my email rabbit and I found you. Perfect. Um, well, I'll, I'll make sure it doesn't slip through the cracks as much next time. I'll be a little well, more precise. Thank or you for having me. But I would, I would really love to chat with you guys more. Where are you geographically? One of you is in Austria, and you are in California. I'm in Colorado for two more weeks, and then I'm going to Costa Rica for three months, and then I don't know where. Uh, maybe India I'll for a while. I'll introduce my pals in Costa Rica. I'd love to go there. Nope. We got to talk. You in so, Boulder? I am um, about three hours west of Denver, um, next to the Continental Divide, actually, in a oh, place nice. called Buena Vista. It's beautiful. It looks like Tibet, but uh, my time. Yeah, no, I love up. Colorado. Uh, yeah, it's great. Dude, thanks so much for your time and energy. I'm sure uh, if it's Wednesday nights that you do that, like I'm sure you're kind of have already done their poetry reading. Yeah, I just came straight from that. Yeah, Thank so you it's so like you're on for indulging me, and I'll see you next time. Buenos. Thank you okay. very much for sharing oh, all the experience, and thanks everyone for listening. That's Thank enough. you. Thanks, Jim, as always. Catch you all next Adios. time. When I was born, I donned a space suit for living on this plane. And everybody comes up and says, what a nice suit. And you're constantly looking into other people's eyes to find out if you're really wearing a nice spacesuit. It's what I call somebody training. I have been huffing and puffing and trying to get enlightened as hard as I could. I have fasted, prayed, mantraed, pilgrimaged, 
sat before my guru, done all night this isn't that, meditated. I mean, I really put my time in, so to speak. In the 60s, Timothy Leary gave me psilocybin, and it changed my life. I tried every chemical possibility to try to stabilize that state through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of explorations. I still came down and I kept coming down and coming down. And then I went to India and I met Maharaji, my guru, and I met a being who didn't come down. My Maharaji in my head is more like a psychiatric nurse. <laughs> Each of us must be true to ourselves to hear what is our unique way through. Because if you get phony holy, it ends up kicking you in the butt. You've got to stay true to yourself. Years back when I started to do this meditation, I could go off and I could have a six-hour fantasy, a six-hour sexual fantasy, sitting in Burma all by myself in a cell, and I'd look like I was meditating all the time, and they, nobody knew, you know, and I... Oh, God. <laughs> I think that the spiritual trip at this moment is not necessarily a cave in the Himalayas, but it's in relation to the technology that's existing. It's relation to where we're at. I think that's all part of one package now. We've got to control the mind. We've got to transcend the mind. We've got to unclutter the mind. All that's kinds true. of the mind. Well, maybe. <laughs> I think you'll find my theory a little bit more advanced, Ramdas, if you just listen. <laughs> and you walk down the street, and you're somebody. You say, you know who you are. You dress like somebody. Your face looks like somebody. Everything is somebody. We enter in these conspiracies. I'll make believe you are who you think you are. If you make believe I am who I think I am. You can see them in everybody. I mean, everybody's busy being somebody.